Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Well, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. This is part two of our Faith Under Fire series, and I encourage you, if you missed part one, to go on our Faith Plus app or on YouTube and catch up with what we covered last week. We even talked about more of it uh, during Faith in the Morning this past week, and Faith in the Morning happens 9 a.m. on Faith Plus and on our social media channels. And so we're going to get into some new material this week, but let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And the purpose of the series is to help you use your faith under pressure, but also how you can know what the Bible actually says in a time where Satan is trying to challenge you in what you believe, a time when your faith is under fire. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This was one of the foundation scriptures of our previous, previous series, Church in the Wild. And Jesus says, and I say unto you that you are Peter, small rock, and upon this rock, this word rock here is a large foundational rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. We talked about that at length in the last series. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not be able to overpower this ecclesia. It will not be able to withhold this ecclesia. Now, one of the things we said in the last series, what what I want us to focus on right now is this phrase, gates. In biblical times, the gates of fortified cities were used to hold councils and were places of great strength. So when they're saying the gates of hell, he's referring to hell's machinations, powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censure, sentence. It is Satan's propaganda machine. It's his efforts of injustice and the financial tactics of hell. All of those things will not be able to withhold the church. So once again, this is the policy and the strategy and the propaganda machine of Satan. These are all of his efforts of injustice and his financial tactics. And so you have to understand these are the things Satan is trying to use to come against your faith right now. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And for some of you, I know you're going to want my notes for today's message. You'll be able to find on the YouVersion app as well as the Faith Plus app. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand or resist against the wiles of the devil. This word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. This word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. For we wrestle not. Now, I want to break down this so you understand the picture the Apostle Paul is creating here. 
The word wrestle means a contest between two in which endeavors to throw the other is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. So what Paul's about to describe are two opponents competing, and the victory is decided when the one opponent can hold someone down with their hand on the other person's neck. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our real enemy are not other people. But who's our real enemy? This is but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So you have here the rank and file of Satan's demonic kingdom. These are the ones we're facing off against. But notice the most frequent word of this scripture is against, 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 against. So it lets you know it's a fight, but this word paints a picture of face-to-face combat. This is what's in your face every single day, whether you realize it or not. And remember, these are wiles. They're cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery, and it's in your face every single day, and you're supposed to resist it. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand or resist in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. What is the evil day? It is a day of trouble. It is a day of trial. It is a day of tribulation. It is a day of pressure, or it is the day of attack. It is a day when the attack Satan has been building to you launches and tries to make you let go of your faith or back away from your faith in God. Now go to John 10.10. I want to show you something about the attacks of the enemy. Jesus already said that it cannot withhold or overpower the church. This is an attack that's in your face every single day. John chapter 10, verse 10. A familiar scripture to a lot of us. It says, The thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, Jesus says, and that they may have it more abundantly. So notice here, Satan is called the thief. And he comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I want to hold into this word to steal. You know, people say, okay, Satan steals. And people might think, oh, he's going to break in your house and take what you have. They picture this overwhelming picture of violence that breaks in and attacks you and mugs you. But that's not the picture this word is painting here in the book of John. This word still means to take away by stealth. This word paints the picture of a pickpocket who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. This word still means to take away by stealth. This word paints the picture of a pickpocket who is so artful in the way he steals that his exploits of thievery are nearly undetectable. Remember, everything Satan done is cloaked in deception. So what he's doing here, Jesus unravels this mystery and lets you know Satan is a pickpocket. And the art of the pickpocket is to steal from you without you even knowing that you were stolen from. The art of the pickpocket is through distraction. So I'm guaranteeing you right now, if you're distracted, Satan is stealing from you. I won't get into, I'll get into a little bit today, but not as a lot as I would like to. If you're offended, Satan's stealing from you. If you're distracted, he's stealing from you. He prefers to steal when you don't know he's stealing. Some of you know enough of the word and about your authority as a believer that if you saw Satan coming at you head on, you know how to resist him, how to rebuke it, and how to stop it. And so you're focused here 
and you don't know what's going on right here, and Satan is trying to use something over here to distract you and get you offended so he can steal from you. And he wants to steal from you in a way that's undetectable. Go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and we'll look at how the enemy works. Because when your faith is under fire, this is how it gets under fire. This is how you get under pressure. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. To deceive simply means to get someone to believe something that is not true. Deceive means to get someone to believe something that is not true. And the power of deception is you believe it and you don't even know it's wrong. You'll believe what's not true and you don't even know that it's wrong. One of the things also says Satan here is the accuser of the brethren. And accuse is to accuse someone who charges with an offense, a crime, or a sin. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. So as we said before, the gates of hell, the powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censors, sentence, Satan's propaganda machine, his efforts of injustice, and his financial tactics, those are what the gates of hell are. All of these things are cloaked in deception and filled with accusations and lies. Knowing this, let's examine closely the strategies of hell that are cloaked in deception and filled with accusations and lies. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. I'm taking a while to build my foundation so I can get to what I really want to get into today. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It's the most important parable of the Bible. And he, Jesus, began to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine or his teaching, Hearken, pay attention, listen. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he, Jesus, was alone, they that were with him, about him with the twelve asked him of this parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest that any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then we know all parables? So this parable is a key to the other parables. The sower sows the word. And so there are different sowers in the Bible, but in here, Mark chapter 4, we see God is sowing the word, and he uses preachers to sow the word through. So he's sowing the word, and he sows the word in different ground. One of the things you understand here in just a moment, the ground is a type of heart. You might say, well, why would God sow the word 
on wayside soil. What is the wayside? It is comparable to the side of ground by a highway. Now, most of you wouldn't try to plant anything on the side of I-20 or 285 or 75 or 85 because you realize that's not the best ground to grow something in. And so that is a type of ground or a type of heart. And he goes through all these different types of grounds to say, well, why would God even sow in those areas? It's because God loves all those people, and he still tries to get the word to them no matter the condition of their heart. And so as you keep going through, the sower sows the word, and these were that were sowed by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So these are people who heard the word, and it's like, ah, I don't believe that. I don't understand that. You know, I don't agree with that. So they never received it. They never took it. And so immediately Satan comes and says, I'll take that. So what he does, he immediately comes to steal the word from them. And the thing is, he takes it away from them without them even knowing he took it in the first place. And then it goes on and says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So these are people, they hear the word. They're not like this first group of people. These are people who hear it and they receive it. This word receive means to take, but it also means to catch. This word receive means to take or to catch. So, receiving the word. God and people he's using are tossing the word, and this group of people caught it. Now, what's so important about them catching it? Let's look at what it says next. When you receive the word, when you've caught the word, when you take the word, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So once you catch the word, faith begins to come into your heart. And it's by faith you grab onto the promises of God and receive anything from God. And so I won't be able to score in a basketball game if I don't have the ball. And so this is the first step if I'm planning to score. This is the first step if I'm planning to get the promises of God. This is the first step if I'm going to receive what I'm believing for. I have to catch the word. I have to take the word. I have to receive the word. But notice what it says next. And these are lays likewise who are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness or with a shout, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. They hold on to the word for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake. Why did affliction and persecution come? Because that person has caught the word. So affliction and persecution comes. Here's affliction. Affliction is defined as trouble, oppression, tribulation, distress. It is trouble, oppression, tribulation, distress. It can be better summed up as pressure brought by circumstance. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Come on, say it with me. Say affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Now, what's the second word here? Persecution. What is persecution? It is hostility. It is defined as ill treatment. It is defined as persistent annoyance or harassment. It is hostility. 
It is ill treatment. It is persistent annoyance or harassment. Or to sum it up, it is pressure brought by people. Say it with me. Say persecution is pressure brought by people. So both affliction and persecution is pressure. So when the pressure comes, because these people have caught the word, immediately they are offended. This word offends means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. To entice to sin. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. I'll say it again. This word to be offended means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. It means to entice to sin. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. So this pressure comes because this person has caught the word. Go back to verse 6, the picture Jesus used to paint what happens to these people in life. But when the sun was up, the affliction and persecution is beaming down strong. It was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. So now it looks like they never received the word in the first place. It looks like they never caught the word in the first place. There is no evidence that you received, took, or caught the word in the first place. That means the faith you receive is no longer there and no longer working, which means the way you receive the promises of God has withered away as well. One of Satan's goals is to steal the words you've received and erase the growth and production of the word in your life. That's how there are people who can walk with God and be walking with God for a long period of time. And you lose track of them. You don't know where they go. Last time you saw them on fire for God. And the next time you see them, they say, well, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And you think about this one strong Christian who was on fire. All of a sudden, all of their growth with God is gone like that. The word they caught was taken from them. And remember, Satan's attack is shrouded in stealth and deception. And so when he attacks, he presents another option. And so the thing is, when he attacks, he can't just, you can come up here, he can't just take it from you. And so you, people think, oh, Satan's going to try, I'm going to hold on to it tight. But he can't just take it from you. But when the pressure comes, He's trying to get you to let it go on your own free will so he can take it from you. So instead of holding it tight, it's all out here. But he doesn't just take it from you so you feel like you have nothing. He offers you another option. And so now you're holding on to this. It's called deception. You're holding on to the deception, thinking that you got something that works for you, but all it is is another option. And so now you're trying to score in life, trying to go after the promises of God, but it's not working. And you think, oh, this Christianity doesn't work anymore. This doesn't work in my life. I need something else. You don't realize you're no longer holding the word. You're holding the deception. And the power of deception is you don't even know that you're deceived. You're just holding on something that is not the word of God. 
because you let go of the word because of the pressure. Satan always brings another option. We see that in Genesis 3. Go with me there. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice what the devil did. He began to question God. Adam and Eve had received the word. They were holding on the word. They caught the word. So Satan comes and says, hey, did God really say that? What is he doing? He's offering them another option. Did God really say, here's the lie, here's the deception, here's the twisting of the truth? And the woman said in the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you should not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God does know on the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that it was, the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband who was with her, and he did eat. What is this deception? Satan is working to deceive Eve to present her another option instead of the word of God she had received. So with all of that, let me connect some dots to what's going on to today, what's going on through the headlines right now, what's going on to a lot of people's hearts who are watching right now. Go to 1 John chapter 5. And for those of you who like to take notes in a certain way, I've now finished my introduction. 1 John chapter 5. You know, a question you have to ask yourself today and as we keep going through the series is, what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to the word or are you holding on to the deception? First John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Our faith overcomes the world. Now, this world doesn't mean the planet, the physical earth. It means the systems of this world. And you have to understand something about the systems of this world. The systems of this world are infested and backed by demonic power. The systems of this world are backed and infested by demonic power. Satan seeks to use these systems to accomplish his goal on the planet. Satan seeks to use the systems of the world that are backed and infested by demonic power. He seeks to use these things to accomplish his goals on the planet. Through these systems, he seeks to implement systematic injustice. Through these systems, he seeks to implement systematic injustice. Why? He's still coming for the word. He's still trying to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is really clear, but people don't realize he's trying to work through the systems to do it. So there should never be a question, is there systematic injustice? Of course it is. 
It's built into the system. Systematic injustice would be a combination attack from the devil. It is a combination of affliction and persecution. Systematic injustice is a combination attack of the devil. It is a combination of, afflic of affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, and persecution, which is pressure brought by people. This attack of Satan is driven by demons of division and enhanced by ignorance. This attack of the devil is driven by demons of division and enhanced by ignorance. So let's look at what's going on right now. We're in a time of increased racial tension. There's always been racial tension in this nation because this nation has never properly dealt with its original sin. So there's always been racial tension in this nation. You've not had a place where there's been no racial tension. But we're in a time where it's even increased to another point. We're in a time of civil unrest. We're in a time where we're dealing with all these things and people are finally analyzing things that have been going on for centuries. So in this increased time of racial tension, what is Satan trying to do? Because you have to understand God is moving at this time, and there is an awakening that's going on. There is a revival that's going on. God is bringing justice in this time. But in all of these things, while God is moving, and while things are going on in this world, and the unrest is going on, and the uncertainty is going on, and all the things that have been happening in 2020 is going on, through all those things, the deceiver is seeking to offer another option. Because remember, his goal is to make people let go of the word. So there's a lot of believers who have let go of the word, not just in 2020, but in other times, because of systematic injustice that have been driven by demons of division and racism and enhanced by ignorance of people. And Satan has fueled those things to make people let go of the word and to give them another option. And I, for the rest of this message, I want to cover a few of those options and show you what some of these options sound like. Option one, because the Bible was used to enslave Africans, it cannot be true or it is outdated and no longer relevant. Because the Bible was used to enslave Africans, it cannot be true or it is outdated and no longer relevant. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because you have to understand, Satan doesn't just appear and do stuff in a red suit and a pitchfork. He seeks to use people to do it. And in this time, he's presenting another option. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice this phrase, preached the word deceitfully, handled the word deceitfully. The New American Standard says it this way, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The Message Version says it this way, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. The Amplified Classic Edition says, we refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning or adulterate 
or handle dishonestly the word of God. Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about people who preached with wrong motives. And so the thing is, some of you are sitting on a couch or a chair, listen to me right now, and that couch or chair is being used for its proper thing, to hold you up so that you can do whatever you're doing while you watch me, right? Now, I could take the same chair, you could take the same chair, pick it up, and hit somebody over the head with it. That is not the intended purpose of the chair. This is not the WWF, WCW. This is not the purpose of that chair. But you could use that chair for the purpose, and people could say, see, all chairs are evil. No, chairs aren't evil. Someone used it for the wrong purpose, or someone used it to do evil. And so what is Satan doing? Through deception, offering this option. Because in the midst of this historical fact, knowing that people handled the word of God deceitfully to enslave Africans. They used the word of God to oppress Africans. And it's very true. It is what happened. You have American pastors, especially in the South, but also throughout this nation, and missionaries in other societies that sought to use the Word of God to give reason why Africans, black people, should be enslaved. It was preached in pulpits. It was written about. And even some denominations today, they were founded for the purpose of perpetuating slavery. Now, a lot of those denominations have repented publicly and have gone against that in recent decades. But it still stands as historical fact that that's what was said by people who stood in the pulpit. Now, not all preachers did that, but some did. So what did Satan do? He caused those people who either knowingly knew they were preaching the wrong thing or were deceived and use them to create a system of injustice and oppression and framed it like it was a will of God for it to happen. So in the midst of this historical fact, another option will be presented that is similar to what was told Eve. Did God really say this? Because American Christianity perpetuated slavery, the Bible condones slavery. Because American Christianity, American Christianity perpetuated slavery, the Bible condones slavery. That's what Satan is trying to offer. And if you don't receive it that way, he'll say it a different way, just twist it a little bit more. Because the Bible was used to enslave Africans, it cannot be true or it is outdated and no longer relevant. Now let's deal with this deception because there's a lot of people who believe it. I want to talk to you something about called the Slave Bible. That's a shorthanded name for it. The Slave Bible. The Bible contains 66 books. But the Slave Bible was reduced to contain only parts of 14 books. We have the Bible here. But the Slave Bible, a Bible that was created for the purpose of continuing the oppression of Africans and those of African descent 
was passed out through the rest of the world by people in Great Britain so that slaves would continue to serve their masters. Now, it wasn't a full Bible because they knew the Bible did not condone it. So what did they do? They picked portions of the Bible, portions of 14 books. Not all 66 books, just portions of 14 books. Verses were removed like Jeremiah 22, 13. Woe unto him that builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him not for his work. This verse also was removed, Exodus 21, 16. And he that steals a man and sells him, or if he should be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Instead, these missionaries of the society emphasized passages that incurred subservience. So they took away the truth of the word of God, and they mishandled the word of God to use it to oppress people. And so, because that is a historical fact, Satan will use the lie and the deception. See, the Bible condones slavery. You cannot trust the word of God. You need to let that word you heard go. And what happens? People, because of the systematic injustice, because of the lies and the deception of the enemy, because of his accusations, because of things he's saying again and again and again and again and again, they let go of the word and they pick up the deception. And they don't realize They've been deceived. You see, the enemy doesn't just work in outright lies. He's a liar, but he's also wicked. Wicked means to twist. He's called the wicked one. So what he does, he twists the truth. See, even Satan quotes the word. You saw that when he's trying to tempt Jesus, when he was tempting Jesus. He would quote the word. And so he'll take what is true and twist it to serve his purposes. And so he used those preachers over centuries to preach twisted things for the oppression of Africans and those of African descent. So let's answer this question as we unravel this deception, this wickedness. Does the Bible condone slavery? When Westerners speak of slavery, they think of the Atlantic slave trade. So when Westerners speak of slavery, they think of the Atlantic slave trade. An error many Westerners do when reading the Bible is that they apply current definitions to ancient terms. An error many Westerners do when reading the Bible is that they apply current definitions to ancient terms. Let me give you an example. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, his disciples, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise the lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so it shall not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever will be the chiefest among you shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This word minister here means an attendant, a waiter, or a servant. This word minister means an attendant, a waiter, or a servant. The word chiefest here in this verse means first. The word servant here means slave. So let's read it with these definitions. But whosoever wants to be great among you, they shall be your attendant, your waiter, your servant. And whosoever among you wants to be first shall be 
the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be waited upon or served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That word servant is the same word from Mark 10, which means slave. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So one of the things we see even just right here, and we're about to go further, the slave mentioned in the Bible cannot be the type of slave that was seen in the Atlantic slave trade in the Middle Passage. See, Acts 4.29, the apostles and the early disciples called themselves slaves. Romans 1.1, Paul called himself a slave of Jesus Christ. James 1.1, James, the brother of Jesus, called himself a slave of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Peter called himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, Jude, the brother of Jesus, called himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the book of Revelation was given for the slaves of Jesus. Luke 1.38, Mary, the mother of Jesus, called herself God's slave. John 13, th- 3 through 17, Jesus put on the garments of a slave and did the work of the slave and told his apostles they to do the same thing and serving one another. With all of these references to being a slave, the slavery of the Atlantic slave trade and the slavery mentioned in the Bible cannot be the same thing. But what do people do who have ulterior motives and operate in the deception of the devil? They'll take these verses and twist it and see, see, this means you're supposed to be slave by my definition of slavery. The Atlantic slave trade and the slavery spoken under the law are also not the same thing. We read Exodus 21:16 earlier. And what did that let us know? Those who kidnap and sell their victims into slavery were to be put to death under the law. Kidnapping from Africa and the North were at the heart of the Atlantic slave trade. But according to the Bible, the people who kidnap and sell others to slavery should be put to death. Exodus 21, 26, and 27, he that steals a man and sells him, if he shall be found in his hand, he shall be surely put to death. That's 21:16. But when you keep reading in the chapter, it talks about those that if a slave was injured, they were to be set free. If a slave was injured, they were automatically to be set free. Those enslaved in Atlantic slave trade were routinely abused, mutilated, tortured, and raped. Those enslaved in Atlantic slave trade were routinely abused, mutilated, tortured, and raped. So the slavery of the Atlantic slave trade and the slavery mentioned in the law cannot be the same thing. Leviticus 25, 39-41. It says, If your brother that dwells by you wax and pours and be sold unto you, you shall not compel him to serve as a bondservant, but as a hired servant and as a sojourner he shall be with you and shall serve you unto the year of Jubilee, and then he shall depart from you, both he and his children with them, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. So the Jews who sold themselves into slavery because of debt would be free at the end of seven years. No such system existed for the victims of the Atlantic slave trade. 
Deuteronomy 5.14 says, But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. That includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. The Sabbath and the command for rest was both for master and slave. This command showed the equality before God of both master and slave. At the heart of the Atlantic slave trade in the Middle Passage was racial inequality and the viewing of Africans as subhuman. So the slavery of the Atlantic slave trade at the foundation of this nation cannot be the same thing as what's talked about in the Bible. Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18 says, if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years. In the seventh year, you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with them some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. But suppose your servant says, I will not leave you because he loves you and your family and has done well with you. In that case, you'll take it all and push it through its earlobe into the door. After that, he will be your servant for life. And do the same for your female servants. So what is at the heart of Deuteronomy 15 here? Don't send them away empty. If the slave chose to leave, they were not to be sent away with nothing. They were to be given more than enough to start their life over. If they wanted to stay, the reason was because they loved their master because how he treated them. This was nowhere close to the conditions to the victims of the Atlantic slave trade. The, nowhere close to the conditions they were forced to endure. Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16. If slaves should escape from their masters and take refuge with you, you must not hand them over to their masters. Let them live among you in any town they choose and do not oppress them. Unlike the old South, where fugitive slave laws required all runaway slaves to be returned, the Bible says the exact opposite of foreign slaves on the one. Unlike the Old South, where fugitive slave laws required all runaway slaves to be returned, the Bible says the exact opposite of foreign slaves on the run. In addition, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Isaiah, and David, and the prophets were referred to as the slaves of the Lord using this same Hebrew word. And in Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 3, the Lord Jesus is prophetically spoken of as the slave of the Lord. The Atlantic slave trade and slavery spoken under the law are not the same thing. Let go of the deception and the lie of hell. Another option Satan will try to present that is very close to the other options we've already debunked. The Apostle Paul supported slavery. Well, let's break some things down. Who is the audience of Paul's letters? The church, the blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled believers. He is not writing to society at large or to its institutions. Remember, Paul was well-versed and trained in the law of Moses. The slavery he was addressing was Roman slavery. Roman slavery was not based on race. Roman slave occupations ranged from manual labor to doctors and accountants. 
Roman slaves' occupations ranged from manual labor to doctors and accountants. So what Paul is talking about is nowhere close to what we saw in this nation. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Let's keep on looking at this option Satan presents. So slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Do the same things, or it can be said, do it in the same spirit. Masters, treat your slaves as Jesus treats you. Notice what Paul said here in Ephesians. These masters were not even allowed to threaten their slaves. Now, remember, the Bible also says, neither is there respect of persons. We see that in King James. What, may, what does that mean? He sees all of us as the same. What is Paul saying? You are not greater than your slave. 1 Corinthians 7, 20 through 23 says it this way. Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. New Living Translation. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. So what did Paul do here? He encouraged slaves to gain their freedom. So you can't say the Apostle Paul supported slavery when he told slaves to gain their freedom. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Notice what Paul says here. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do, who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching. Slave traders, those who kidnap and sell into slavery. This is defined in the category of sin, lawlessness, and the disobedient. It is called in the King James, contrary to sound doctrine or contrary to the correct teaching of the Word of God. Notice also what Paul said about it. Colossians 4 verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Or it can say, Masters, give your slaves what belongs to them and treat them justly and fairly. You skip down to verse 9. He says, I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Paul called Onesimus a faithful and beloved brother. Why is Onesimus important to this issue? Onesimus was a runaway slave. So let's look at Philemon. One of the things we're doing a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Colossians and Philemon on Wednesday night. And Colossians and Philemon and Ephesians were written at the same time. The letter of Philemon is given to a specific believer in the church at Colossae. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. 
Paul is talking to this believer. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness often refreshes the hearts of God's people. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. Notice, it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that he could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Paul said, I could command you to do this, but because of our relationship, I'm going to ask you. He told him to receive Anismus back as a beloved brother and to treat him as he would the apostle Paul. Paul adds that if he owes you anything, has stolen from you or wronged you, I'll pay for it. Then he adds, I won't mention that you owe me your own soul. So, what can we conclude? In the New Testament, there's no way you can continually abide by the law of love and the writings of the New Testament and participate in the Roman system of slavery much less the Atlantic slave trade. Under these many scriptures, you would be compelled to treat them as your employed relative who you would free. And if they were your relative, even in Christ, you would not send them away empty-handed just like the law taught. Remember, the same Bible used by slaveholders deceitfully to enslave man was used correctly by abolitionists to free them. The same Bible used by slaveholders deceitfully to enslave man was used correctly by abolitionists to free them. Another deceptive option. Christianity is the white man's religion, and black people would not have been exposed to Christianity if it wasn't for slavery. Now, how many of you want me to debunk that right now? Go ahead and comment below. You want me to handle that? Handle this option? Handle this deception? How many want to know how we tackle that one? Because it's not even that hard to tackle. How many of you want to know? Go ahead and comment below if you're watching on social media. You want to know? We got to tune in next week because we'll handle that next week. So what do we see here? Affliction, persecution, and deception weaponized in this hour has a goal to make you let go of the word you've received. This strategy has been designed and implemented by hell to make people let go of the word, lose their faith, and walk away from Jesus. As we said, the word offended means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. 
It also means to cause to fall away. So what is Satan's end goal with the systematic injustice and the deception that he's pushing in the midst of this time? To make people let go of their faith in God. And instead of trusting him, to desert him, to turn away from him and fall away. To the point there's no evidence that they ever received or caught the word in the first place. The goal is to make people let go of the word, lose their faith, and walk away from Jesus. Are you someone who has fallen away? Are you away from God or even far away from God because of some of these things? All I have to say to you is come home today. There's a word in the Bible that applies to you. It is the word repent. Repent simply means to change your mind and change your direction. Repent means to change your mind and change your direction. Change your mind. Let go of the option. Let it go. Refuse to believe the deception of the enemy anymore. Change your direction. Instead of going farther away from God, it's time to run back to him. Don't walk away from God because of the attack of hell and the words and tactics of ignorant, wicked, and evil people. Change your direction and come back home to God. I've been praying for you all week long. Come back home to God. He'll receive you and restore you. This is your time for restoration. Leave the deception behind. Come back home to God. He has a great plan for your life. And you might be one of those people that you walk with God, but something happened, the affliction, pressure brought by circumstance, the persecution, pressure brought by people. It hits you hard. You let go of the word. You grabbed onto another option, and you fell away. By, by divine providence, you're listening to me right now. You're watching right now. And in your heart, you already know, I need to come back to God. You can feel that pull, whether it's slightly or a huge pull, you feel that pull of coming back home to God. You see, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wherever you're watching right now, Metro Atlanta, Georgia, around the world, if you need to come back home to God, you can do it right now. All you have to say is, God, forgive me for walking away. God, forgive me for turning my back on you. Father, forgive me for being deceived and going the wrong way. I'm coming back home right now. You start saying that right now, not only are you coming back home, God has forgiven you. He's cleansing you. He's treating you like it never happened. He's restoring you to the place you should have been. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.